Welcome to the Boss Level Podcast. Boss Level is a podcast on people and organizations aiming for the boss level. Boss Level is the status a person or an organization achieves by making a better quality of life for themselves and others by doing what they need to do regardless of all the haters and obstacles out there. You're listening to the third episode, and I'd like to start off by saying thank you. The previous episode with Simon Marcus reached over a thousand listens. The podcast was, and still is, featured on iTunes as new and noteworthy. So I guess it's safe to say that we're off to a good start. So thank you for that. This episode is an interview with Nilifer Merchant. She was in Helsinki speaking at the Nordic Business Forum 2015 a few weeks back. She has received the Future Thinker Award from Thinkers50. Nilifer also has a popular TED Talk, and she's a writer for publications such as Harvard Business Review. In this episode, you'll learn about onlyness, the air sandwich, and how double-loop learning is one of the most important concepts in business. We also talk about her first encounter with Steve Jobs while she was still at Apple. Okay, hope you like it. Here's the interview. Can you actually uh, introduce yourself a little? Like, what do you do? What, what's your background? Sure. Uh, so my background is an operating leader. So I was at Apple and Autodesk, GoLive, which got bought by Adobe. So I have a really strong background in high tech. And yep. sometimes I call myself a recovering business executive because <laughs> I'm no longer running anything in particular uh, turned author. So I'm now working on my mm. uh, what will be my third book. Uh, and doing a little bit less of an operating role and more uh, thinking about what management should be doing going forward. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Recovering business exec. So, uh, what were the things that like? Why did you want to make the shift uh, away from business and towards like being an author? Well, I sort of fell into it. I mean, it wasn't like I aimed for this, mm-hmm. um, but it was a combination of life choices that kind of brought me here, and also just the fact that uh, uh, Silicon Valley's really changed and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's becoming a particular culture I'm not as much of a fan of as it was when I was growing up. I always thought at some point if we leaned in enough uh, that tech would be a more inclusive uh, environment, and it's actually becoming less so. Um, so it's nice to be in Europe. I'm actually living here in Paris now. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so uh, enjoying a different kind of life for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Can you actually talk a little more about the, the culture? What, what were the things that you think that were not so good about the Silicon Valley culture? You know, I think um, Silicon Valley is becoming a little bit too insular, and they're not solving what I think are interesting problems anymore. So uh, when I think about, you know, do I need a food delivery service from an app, I think that's a a Mm nice-to-have. But what I'd like to also see is um, fixing core issues of our society, fixing things that enable prosperity. And I think we have too much photo-sharing apps and food delivery apps (laughs) and things that are aimed towards a 27-year-old programmer and not modern um, problems, not modern opportunities that exist for the rest of us. Um, And and so that that part's just a little bit disturbing, and it suggests Mm -hmm. that the same small group of people is setting the agenda. Yeah, 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 yeah. So actually, the greatest minds of our time are working on like how to increase the clicks on a website, and yeah, stuff like that. You know, yeah. and it just it, it, so and also that the people who are funding that yeah. are are focused on entirely the wrong things, right? Which is how do we optimize advertising yield? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's. I saw a, a recent report about 
um, some young, uh, young technologists, young especially women uh, who were, you know, in their teens solving problems. And one of the apps, for example, that they developed was um, a map of the neighborhood to show where problems were. And it was because these kids had to walk through pretty urban um, mm-hmm. environments yeah. and there were, you know, drug dealers and, okay, and different yeah. really real life issues. And they yeah. were actually mapping out um, where to avoid so that people could stay safe. And I thought, well, yes. that's an interesting use yeah, of a technology yeah. that that person only saw and they were able to solve it. Or there was a group of people who used food stamps to get majority of their food, which in the U.S. is a you know sizable problem. Yeah. Something that's not discussed enough. And they were mapping out which food storehouses, when they used their food stamps, had best vegetables so they could eat healthier. And okay. I was thinking, like, yeah. that's an interesting use of technology. And yeah. it's because we're actually having people who ha- see a different set of needs in the world invent solutions to their everyday problems. And to me, those are far more uh, compelling yeah. Uh, solutions, right, in yeah. the world. Yeah, and I think that like that keeps coming up that people feel that we're kind of like we're not solving the systemic issues that we have in the world that we're f- focusing on on the small, small, small things. And do you have any answers for like how, what should we do to change that? How, how how would we get a culture where we actually focus on the big things? Well, I, I think one of the things I notice, like when I am in cities in Europe, and you know, I'm living now in in Paris, and there's an organization called WeShare. Uh, O-U-I and then share, we share, which is building a hub. And there's over a thousand interesting entrepreneurs solving real world problems. So one of them is figuring out how to get fresh food to everyone's home. There's just some really, there's a car sharing um, service that's allowing people to do peer-to-peer car sharing so that we don't have to have as much yeah, uh, you private know, cars. Yeah, yeah, private cars on the streets, mm-hmm. and, and it's just super efficient. So I find the fact that there's a global set of players participating in this economy, in the in the entrepreneurial com- economy, really promising um, because it means that the bubble of Silicon Valley will not be the only place where we will set the agenda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, how about, like, if, if that's that's basically the culture in Silicon Valley and, and, and the culture and the things that we're developing at the moment, how, how do you see that, like, that the company culture has changed in, in your time as a business executive? Well, I think, I think um, there's two things going on. One is a lot of the things that helped companies be successful in the last 20 years are no longer the pieces that are going successful now. Yeah. Uh, so it used to be that size was the predominant thing that mattered, so you had to have enough uh, capital enough people in one building that allowed efficiencies, yeah. a whole series of things that allowed you to be effective. And my argument with uh, the writing of Social Era was that now connected people can do what once only large organizations could. That has a profound uh, implication for how we think about businesses because then it's not about uh, we no longer have an issue really with access to capital. Yeah. Uh, we no longer have an issue of access to talent. We no longer have an issue of being able to source hardware or software or anything, right? We can 3D print something. We can just do, there's, yeah, yeah. there's this amazing network yeah. that's always on, always available for us to be able to create things. And that changes then how we think about value creation, right? So yeah. it's no longer how big am I and can I dominate, but what kind of value can I create today? And then who can I serve? And you start really flipping this entire construct from having power and domination over other things to who am I serving, how do I serve them better, and what is the value that each of us can contribute into society. And it changes the mix of business um, when we can use our our ability to connect with other people driven by our shared interest that can then say, okay, Sami and I are going to go get together and go solve this interesting thing. Yeah. We don't even have to belong to the same organization 
to yeah. that we can just simply do it, right? And that yeah. that focus on action based on our convictions is profound to me. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so I think that's going to represent sort of where the future of management will be. Yeah. And so you were referring to your book, uh, 11 Rules for Creating Value in the Social Era. And we kind of already, uh, you covered a bit of it, but can you actually define what you mean with social era, with the term social era? Sure. And in fact, uh, today when I'm talking at the Nordic Business Forum, I'm going to actually uh, do this live and see if it works. I've never done it with a 5,500 person audience. (laughs) um, But I usually ask people to turn to one another and be social. Mm-hmm. And okay. for a minute, and I just, just you know, and it usually like there's usually a second of pause, and people go and kind of look uncomfortable, and then they they go and be social, and they shake hands, they high five, they mm-hmm. laugh, they uh, they share a story, right? There's all these different yeah. ways in which we are social, and my point in that exercise is always that there was no media ever involved in that exchange, mm-hmm. yeah. and yet for some reason we have connected the words social and media as if they are one thing. Social is, as human beings, have always been the ability to connect to one another. And now the opportunity is, how do we actually run our organizations that way, right? That's the the shift. That's what I think is defined by social era. I think that's going to be a a great moment uh, at the event because I'm not sure like how much you know about Finnish people and, and, and Finland, but Finns are in general like uh, a little introverted. Yeah, a little and, bit more uh, conservative, <laughs> yeah, a little so, bit more introverted. So that's going to, I think that's going to like, the first uh, 10 seconds is probably going to be awkward and then it's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, last night I gave a, I gave a talk to a lovely group over at Alyssa. Yeah. Um, they had a CXO kind of forum mm. and they warned me also, they said, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, the, yeah. and I said, okay, so let's just, you know, ask, but there were 12 really smart questions that happened mm-hmm. after my talk. And to me, that's a sign um, that the talk was successful because if we can get Finnish people to ask questions, <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good sign. Yeah. Right? And actually there's this uh, Finnish uh, speaker called Esa Saarinen. And when he begins a talk, he always asks people to hug each other. And that's Whoa. that's that's like that's a big Even in thing. America, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, I think what happens is like there's also this this moment of awkwardness. But after the hug, I think there's like everyone's like pretty much like okay, this was actually pretty nice. I kind of liked it, but like yeah, it's a small moment of awkwardness, and then it gets like, you know. Okay. A, a friend of mine is Roger Martin. Roger Martin, who wrote um, some of the best design thinking books, mm-hmm. and, and one of the, my favorite books of all time called Opposable Mind. Mm-hmm. And he says sometimes abstractions serve us, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. And he says business has gotten to the point of being such an abstract concept where we think about numbers and profit and really abstract notions of what it is we're doing mm-hmm. when the actual moment where value is created, where work is done, mm-hmm. is person to person. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I love that he pointed out that we've we've done this abstraction of business and it's no longer serving us. And I want us to bring it back to where is the moment where we actually yeah. create value? Go focus on that moment because the more you can reproduce that, the more mm-hmm. you can actually create the kind of work we want to do. So how should how should this be like reflected? Uh, like or how, how should this change the way we run companies? If if that's true that that there's the social side should be like uh, in in the companies and the way that we we do things, what would be like concrete actions that like employers or or employees could do to uh, kind of get it into the company? Well, you know, you actually saw me when you just started introducing your company 
right? Yeah. And you said yeah. what you do. Yeah. One of the things that you said is that performance reviews and budgets and those things turned out to be abstractions. I think yeah. that was actually sort yeah. of the, the conceptual way you were thinking about yeah. it, right? They turned out to be things we did because we were taught that they would help us. Yep. Yep. And they turn out actually to be impediments to actually letting people rely on each other and count on each other and look into each other's eyes and say, this is what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? And yeah, have these yeah. conversations, right? That is really the point. Yeah. And budgeting and planning and things have become abstractions, ways in which they actually don't serve us to actually think together, yeah. right? We end up producing a PowerPoint document instead of saying, what agreements did we just reach? <laughs> yeah. And and what are yeah. we actually going to do? Yeah. And, and so we have to go back to that yeah. basis of uh, get rid of all the stuff that's distracting us from having real conversations with one another, allowing yeah. us to... Uh, count on each other, find each other, know what position each of us are going to play, uh, know where we're going to sync up, know mm. what it is that we're all aiming towards together. Yeah, and so yeah. going back to the basics of how would you think about that in human connection yeah. words and stop thinking about it in terms of business performance words, and you'll end up back to the truth of work. Yeah. So actually, one, one way that I've been talking about this is, is that like uh, budgets and targets and, and target setting are actually they're kind of like proxy variables. So kind of like they're proxies to the like uncertainty of your business. And you're kind of using those those proxies to hide the uncertainty from from people working in your company. That's so interesting. And uh, and like if you just get rid of the proxies, then you that, talk about the uncertainty. Yes. And, and yes. that's going to be very scary. It's a really big thing. But I mean, in, in the long run, that's going to serve you better. Just like exposing everyone to the uncertainty and just letting them learn how to deal with the fact that our business is uncertain. Most of modern work yep. is built on the premise that people need to be told what to do. Yep. And it was when we were asking, asking people to come off the farm when they did their own farming and were responsible for raising their own food and stuff, off the farm and into an industrial setting. And we said, oh, gosh, we're going to have to train them. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to tell them what to do. And then in order to make all the pieces come together, we're going to have to assign each person a little component part. So you do this yep. widget and this other person does this widget, right? So yep. think about the the production line of yep. business. Um, and so what's funny is that was a weird architecture that we created. And it assumes that people need to be using both a carrot and a stick. It assumes people are not self-motivated. It assumes a series of things about people, yeah. which, by the way, when they were farming, they were motivated. Yeah. They were passionate. They did what they were best at. They talked yeah. to one another. They, so if you go back to the the artifice of the mm. industrial era, it's created this weird um, thing that we still carry with us in business today to assume people need to be told. Yeah. And yeah. actually, the way I like to think about it is people need people actually want to be able to add their value to the world. And yeah. the question is, is this the best fit? And how do we optimize and bring out the very best in that person? That's yeah. your role as a manager and a leader. Yeah. Okay, that's that's great. So, uh, how do you actually do that? <laughs> well, one of the things. So, just think about you know the the conversation you and I are having, right? Yeah. It's what is it that it, that you know about me that you want to have me come contribute? So, it's the thing that each of us has, and I call yeah. this onlyness, right? In social era, I named this this component. If we're in an ideas economy. My argument was, if we're an ideas economy, which everyone agrees, we are mm-hmm. a creative economy, knowledge economy, whatever you want to call it, yeah, yeah. we're all agreed that the fundamental thing we're all producing now is ideas. Yeah. Okay. Well, ideas can come from anyone. Yeah. Not just the known few, not just those who have been educated, not just those that have the credentials, yeah. anyone. So now I call this thing that each of us has onlyness, yeah. that each of us is standing in a spot in the world only you're standing in a function of your history and experiences, visions and hopes. And it's from that place mm-hmm. in which you create value. Yeah. 
So then my question is, okay, so if that's true, and I believe it is, then how do you invite me to bring all of me into work? Because you're going to know then what matters to me. Yeah. Right? You're going to want to know if I love solving the story I'm telling on stage, in fact, is of a woman, Maria Elena, who worked at a bank. And she worked at a bank for years and years. And what she found she loved to do is to help people solve their really deepest, complex personal problems. So if money, you know, people, the reason yeah. people walk into a bank was because they had to solve for retirement yeah, or yeah, they yeah. needed to take care of their parents' health, right? So it was always a, a personal decision, a big mm-hmm. personal decision that was causing them to call, go into the bank. And here's what the bank did. The bank said, Maria Lena, you need to actually also do a marketing plan for how you will grow the business. And Maria Lena, you can't actually meet with people if they haven't brought the right paperwork. You can only meet with them if they've brought the right paperwork and you can only meet with them for 15 minutes. So, <laughs> yeah. so like they created all these weird constraints, right? And yeah, here's the weird part yeah. about the story is, okay, writing a marketing plan for yeah. her little 12-person organization was not actually going to change anything, right? Yeah. But her serving a customer... Mm-hmm. incredibly well in helping them solve that problem because she personally cared yeah, right yeah, yeah. for for actually solving that problem she turned out to be really good at it would have grown the business yeah. just naturally but yeah. they didn't look at her and go gosh what is this gift that this person's bringing in a work mm-hmm. what is yeah, their yeah. personal passion and then how do we make that go yeah that's that's really interesting and reminds me of like a discussion that I had on the podcast with Simon Marcus the the VP of operations at Spotify and we had a discussion on, on like that one of the things that has and, and and should change in the in the companies or the organizations that we have now is that like traditionally the idea is that like there's five people or 20 people at the top of the or the head of the company who do most of the th- thinking and then there's like people who implement yeah and 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 Mar- Simon Marcus's point was that like we should go for organizations we, where we can harness the brain power of everyone in the company. So I, I call think, the problem that that he just yeah. characterized an air sandwich. Where the air top, sandwich. The air sandwich. So first book is called The New How. It's based on this problem of the air sandwich, where the top tells the bottom what to do. Yeah. And the bottom, of course, who's actually on the ground making stuff happen, yeah. haven't been involved in the discussions and trade-offs, and they know a set of things that the yeah. top doesn't know. And yeah. everything that's actually important, you know, just what makes a sandwich good, right? So yeah. peanut butter in the middle of a sandwich is incredibly important. Yeah. Well, you're missing that in organizations when we have an air sandwich because all the debates and the understanding and the discussions that allow us to co-own an idea as our own, mm-hmm. that's missing. Yeah. And that's the fundamental problem that's happening in most organizations is we believe strategy belongs in one place and yeah. execution belongs to another. But that's an yeah. archetype of a very old construct. It's yeah, not yeah. actually relevant today. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's actually a really interesting topic. So uh, in the social, social era, how, how should we do strategy at companies? So the way I did it when I was doing consulting was I asked anyone who was interested in solving the problem to come to the table. Mm -hmm. Now, every CEO that we ever worked with to do this for them or, you know, on their behalf would look at me with total fear in his eyes because Mm -hmm. they were like, well, won't the crazy people, you know, and and I say it, they would never, of course, use that word, but won't the crazy people in our organization show up? And I said, you know, it's quite possible that the person who hasn't met their sales quota will show up or the... A person who's really deeply distressed about how you guys handle customer service, they'll show up. But here's the thing. They're not going to show up because they want to complain. They want to show up because they want you to fix it. So now we need to know what is it they know to help us understand it so that collectively we can solve that problem. And I'll manage the process so that the crazies don't act too crazy. And we will together understand something. That's the way that strategy can get created. We can understand the problem together, and then we can design solutions. And then here's what happens if you do that right. Mm -hmm. 
execution is just downstream, right? Because you don't need to come check back in with me to ask, hey, what should we do next if you run into an obstacle? You're going to be like, oh, I was there. I saw what trade-offs we already made. I get it. And I'm going to go run this play. And you know how to start playing much more like a team on a, on a soccer field, right, or a football field, as they would call it in Europe, um, that you would know how to play as a team because you understand the goal. Yeah, yeah. You don't need yeah. to yeah. check back in with the coach, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. You can play real time. And that's the yeah. thing that's actually going on in our market right now is yeah. we're moving so fast. We shouldn't have to go back up the chain of command and have yeah. to, like, do a logic check. We yeah. ought to be able to play as if we're all on the field. Yeah, yeah. That sounds very familiar. And uh, one of the things that we also talk about and try to do at Reactor is like uh, do a lot of experiments so that like our strategy would be based on things that we've already experimented with. And we kind of like we already learn stuff. Exactly. So we have like empirical like data on the things that like that worked and the things that didn't. And then we just try to scale up the things that worked. You know, Eric, Eric Rias has written a really good book on lean startup and and he really has helped people understand this idea of how much you just iterate your way to success. Yep. Because in real yep. life, that's how we do yep. it. Yep. We don't learn to walk by like doing a plan yep. and writing down a PowerPoint and all that stuff, right? Yep. We we first walk a little and then we fall down on our butt and then yep. we walk some more and we fall down yeah. on our butt until yeah. we actually learn how to do it. Yeah. And that is everything in yep. life. And I think like Lean Startup made a really good job in like bringing that to, to the world of like product development. But I still think that like organizations are not developed in that way. I mean, you can, you can apply the same principles to just Absolutely. like organizational development. You can, you can do experiments with the way that you run your company. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's great. There's real wisdom there. Yeah. And um, okay, so, so another topic uh, that we could discuss is, is innovation. So I, you're, you're actually, you lecture on the topic at Stanford. Am I right? I do. Yeah. I lecture, I have a, a management course I teach at Santa Clara University, um, which is built off my first book on new how, and then also doing stuff at Stanford. So I, I get a chance to do that around the world. I'm doing something at Duke, in fact, sometime soon. Okay. Yeah. So uh, well, well, what are your main points on, on the lectures? What, what kind of stuff do you talk about? So this air sandwich notion is, is the thing I'm trying to get people to really understand, that, that mm-hmm. whenever we separate the notion of strategy and execution, we're, we're buying into a false uh, premise. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually can create ideas together, co-own them together. And so I walk them through the logic of how do you – what are the five parts, right? So how do you first scope a business problem together – so you understand it. How do you brainstorm solutions? How do you choose amongst those many solutions? I call that murderboarding. Um, what Mur- murderboarding? Murder so in 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 um, especially in tech, in, in, we're really uh, strong at whiteboarding. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we need to get good at murderboarding, which is killing off all the options that don't make sense for us. Okay. Now yep. murderboarding. Um, and how do we? So therefore, how do we select? Mm-hmm. And then how do we actually stay in alignment? as we're going down the field. So how do we have those conversations that let us actually go, oh, this is where we have to sync up, right? Yeah. So it was just a very nice, uh, in, the, in the book, it was questions, envisioning, selection, and taking responsibility. So it was mm. Q-U-E-S-T, question, so yeah. quest. Yeah. So, um, so I had taught that methodology. And then underlying all that, which is sort of the fifth element, so I just named four, one of the things I've seen now, because that book was 2002, 10. Mm-hmm. One of the things I didn't write in that book, but I wish I had, you know, because you learn you learn yeah, your yeah, own yeah. idea more clearly <laughs> after you've written yep. something. Yep. But I write all of that, but what I took for granted, what I sort of made tacit instead of explicit, so this is where mm-hmm. I now add this in the lecture work, is the role of listening mm-hmm. in all of this. Yeah. Because 
I assume people are doing a good job of listening. And what I've realized is actually that's the one thing that all of us as leaders could do better. So it turns out there's actually a piece of research also that supports us. 40% of your effectiveness of leadership is driven by the ability to listen, the ability to listen to new ideas, the ability to listen to new voices. It gives you the ability to adapt when you can listen Mm -hmm. well. It's Mm -hmm. the number one quality besides confidence. So, you know, the the basic sort of core knowledge you need to do your work if you're like Mm -hmm. a CFO, the thing right after that is the ability to listen. Mm-hmm. So I think it's the one thing each of us needs to learn how to do way better, especially in this changing time, is not just to, to know what we believe, but to figure out how to ask the questions that let you learn from mm-hmm. other people what is it yeah. you don't know and what is it you need to know and how do you um, how do you listen to where the market and the customer and even your, yeah. your team needs you to know something that you don't know already. Another big discussion that that uh, keeps coming up every now and then is the like you were, we've been talking a lot about innovation and ideas and uh, a lot of people say that like ideas are worthless that it's like it's the execution and execution is everything. What are your thoughts on that? An idea without execution is not an idea. So uh, uh, so I do I do buy into the notion it's always about making something real. Yeah. Because uh, for me everything is about that. Uh, I never, from my very childhood, I've never believed anyone who said anything unless it actually followed their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've always been that way because I could always notice when someone said one thing and did another. Yeah. Like I was raised in a a very quote unquote faithful household, meaning they were very religious. Yeah. But their actual like how they demonstrated love or how they demonstrated, you know, was not in alignment with what they said. And I and I remember just being a child and really noticing, like, hmm, you say this thing, okay, but you yeah. do this thing. Yeah. And so my whole thing was, because I didn't like what they were doing, I was like, yeah, yeah, I, don't, I only care now about what you do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a fundamental, and I think that's true in every business. What you do is what matters. Then the question is, um, most of us have ideas that we don't turn into action because for some reason we stop ourselves, we edit ourselves. Somebody's told us along the way, your idea doesn't count. And so in spite of what other people tell us, we have to be the ones to vote for it ourselves. We have to be the ones to go chase that idea into reality. And that's that's the thing that only this is about. If you see it, if you see something no one else sees, you got to go act on it. Because by the way, you're probably the only one who sees it. And so why not use that as a strength? And sometimes our society as a whole doesn't show us and Mm -hmm. us as leaders, right? We don't necessarily invite everyone to bring all that difference Mm -hmm. to the table. And yet I think that's the key to the economic opportunity in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about your time as a, as a business executive, what were the, like the biggest lessons for you? Like what were the things that, that you, uh, like if, if you were giving advice to a business student or some, someone like that, what's your wisdom? (laughs) I think the, the one thing that all of us are, are going to have to get really clear on is every single thing we're being taught today is going to get tossed out the window at some given point. Yeah. And the very first time I met Steve Jobs, for example, yeah. uh, his first words were not hi or how do you say your name, mm-hmm. but it was a swear word. Yeah. And he, um, and I wish I could tell you that the meeting went really well and that, mm-hmm. you know, all that. Yeah. But actually what he did is he told me that the program I had been running that was incredibly profitable and successful for Apple yeah. Actually, he didn't want that program to continue. And okay. he was basically challenging me. Um, he was looking at exactly the same data I was looking at, by the way, because mm-hmm. I was getting reports that said the customer wanted to have a closer relationship with yeah. a brand. Yeah. And I was looking at that report thinking, gosh, since the channel so key to our revenue, I was going to figure out how to mitigate all those things yeah. and keep yeah. doing what we were doing. And he was looking at exactly the same report and saying, no, 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 we have to figure out how to run towards the future. And 
most of us preserve what we have because we know it. And we think that's how things have happened. And so that that thing that Steve showed me in that little dramatic moment where he said, you know, the thing you're leading, mm-hmm. don't do that anymore. It's the it's the thing we have to say to ourselves all the time, which is every five years kind of retool and go, okay, what's no longer the relevant belief system, the relevant knowledge, the relevant yeah. whatever, and be willing to actually go, even if I know how to do it really mm-hmm. well, to be able to go, yeah, that no longer serves, yeah. right? And then retool again. And, and that's exhausting yeah. at a certain level, yeah. which is why I think people don't do it. But yeah. I think if I had to transfer one lesson for each and every single one of us is to actually sit there and find a way to cull just like we do our closets or just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but to cull, what is the stuff that no yeah. longer serves? Yeah, yeah, Even yeah. if everyone else around us is saying to us, yeah. by the way, we've done that forever that way. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Business and life is changing so fast. We have to be willing to reinvent who we are yeah. at our very core. Yeah. This uh, reminds me of the concept of double loop learning for, by Chris yes, Arturias. Yes, yeah. one of my favorite pieces <laughs> ever. Yes, yes. So basically that, I guess like if I re- uh, reflected on, on what you just told about your stuff uh, or your work at Apple was that like you were kind of doing single loop learning on how to like, how to make that business work better and so on. But you weren't that much focused on the double loop, which is like questioning whether that business makes sense for Apple altogether. Right. Yeah. Right. In fact, I remember where I was when I first read that HBR piece that Chris published around double loop learning. And I, I remember like the bench and the feeling of the, I remember going, Oh my gosh, this is the most profound idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think if there is, you know, each of us is influenced by different mm-hmm. ideas and but I think that's the one that I probably think has m- most affected my career. Yeah. That and sort of Elizabeth uh, Moss Cantor's work around change agents. If you go back and read that, it's actually kind of dated in a certain way because it's like a '70s piece. But she's basically saying that culture is the thing. If you learn how to manage change, you learn how to manage everything. And yeah. you combine Chris's idea, which is everything is about curiosity and learning whether or not we're asking the right questions. And Rosabeth Moss Cantor's piece saying culture is everything and you have to figure out how to be that change agent, that, those are the two skills that I personally think I've taken away and I hope yeah. that each of us try to apply more. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah, great. So uh, uh, what are you currently interested in? What are you, like, if, if someone wants to get inside your head, what, what are you reading or what are you listening to or um, studying? So first, first of all, I'm working on now my third book, which yeah. I'm really excited about because uh, it's on onlyness. I introduced the idea in 2012. It's had a life of its own. And the way I know that is I remember when I published Social RI, maybe across everything, maybe had 10,000 followers. And what was interesting is I think I'm up to like four or five million followers now across all the different platforms. And I and yeah. I, and I find it interesting because it's onlyness that's pulling that idea through. Okay. People are yeah. realizing it's about each and every single one of us counting in this modern economy. But how do we tap into it? How do we live out of our conviction? How do we find other people in purpose? How do we galvanize action even if we don't belong to the same organization? Those how-to pieces are totally unclear. So I'm chasing down um, really interesting and and profoundly uh, insightful stories of people actually doing that. And I'm writing that, so it's a whole new opportunity for me. Um, Viking slash Penguin will publish that book in 2016. Um, So that's that's the big project. And in terms of things I'm reading, uh, things that are on my nightstand right now, uh, I just bought Barry Schwartz's book about the way we work. Okay. Yeah. He is the guy who wrote um, The Paradox of Choice, uh, Swarthmore professor, quite brilliant. And then uh, Sherry Turkle's uh, got a new book out on conversations. 
uh, and the role reclaiming conversations in our society. Uh, And you can imagine, given what I just finished talking about, I think it's so important that we need to figure out how not to think about technology as the thing that separates us. But how does it enable us to actually have good conversations together? Um, What else am I reading? Oh, I just finished reading Stephen Hill's book that's about... um, prosperity and how mm-hmm. we're not actually enabling enough prosperity in our current technology world. So it's basically talking how Uber is allowing that 1% to get richer instead no. of allowing us to have more shared prosperity. And so um, those are some of the things I'm thinking about right now. That's true. And, and it sounds like you read a lot. <laughs> so is there like a book that, that you feel that has changed you, like the, the most important book for you? Uh, oh, I, I mean, I'm I love reading. I think I've always loved reading since I was a little little yeah. kid. Uh, but like when I mentioned Roger Martin's Opposable Minds, uh, how do you hold two ideas that seem so opposite as both being true? That's a that was a profound book for me when I first read it because I was like, oh my god, oh my god, this is me. You know, and I had language <laughs> yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. some of the books we've already mentioned, Rosabeth yeah. Moss Cantor. Yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there are people, uh, Henry Mintzberg, who's one of the best strategists of our time. There are many people who have really paved the way. And I'm I, whenever I write, I always think, gosh, how could I even leave just a tiny little legacy and reflect mm-hmm. the, the lessons I've learned from some of these people? Okay, great. Thanks a lot for the talk and uh, have a great time in Helsinki. Thanks, Sami. Thanks for listening. You can find links to the stuff we talked about in the show notes. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss future episodes. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter and like it on Facebook. Thanks for the positive reviews on iTunes and please keep them coming. Before you move on to listening to something else, you might want to just take 30 seconds to reflect back on what you just heard and think, what was most relevant for you and how could you apply it? And if you want... Share your thoughts on social media. I'd love to hear them. The next episode will be released in two weeks. Talk to you then.